Recent changes in the app stores are boon to mobile game developers. Now you can sell in-game items and currencies with big savings on transaction fees. And Exola just added three new features to their web shop for mobile game solution to help you level up your monetization practices outside the app stores. The three solutions are subscriptions, analytics, and promotions. Now, subscriptions are a smart add to your mobile revenue strategy. They boost game revenue with predictability while maintaining a lawyer user base. Analytics give you data, and data has become fuel on which modern society runs. If you don't know your players, you won't know what they want or how to get them to click that buy button. Analyze your data so you can create critical piece of the purchasing puzzle. Finally, promotions allow you to easily reach out to opt-in players via email or Discord and other channels to bring them to your web shop on your website. You'll be able to generate new sales and keep more profit. To find how to get started, visit exola.pro/mobile or go to the link in this podcast description. Switching mediation providers might seem like a pain in the ass. But it doesn't have to be. If you're thinking of making the transition from Mopub to IronSource, we've got you covered. First, we've created a dedicated tool that removes the manual work when migrating to IronSource mediation. Second, we'll be holding workshops with IronSource experts where you can have all your migration needs taken care of. And if you want to do it yourself, we also have technical documentation for migrating to IronSource mediation in our knowledge center. To learn more about these initiatives and begin monetizing with IronSource today, head to www.is.com forward slash migrate. That's www.is.com forward slash migrate. This podcast is brought to you by Google for Games. It takes more than a collection of tools to help you bring your gaming vision to life. With cross-platform solutions that give you access to billions of potential players around the world, Google is your partner to create great games, connect with players, and scale your business. Visit g.co slash Google for Games or go to the link in the podcast description below. And if you ask me, Google for Games is the destination to learn more about game solutions, some latest research, and insights from Google's gaming teams to help you achieve your goals. If you're not driving or working out while listening to this podcast, I really suggest you fire up that browser and check out Google for Games. <laughs> well, welcome everybody to Twig 191. I'm personally like just before Eric starts talking about his his kids basketball career and whatnot, which is incredibly important and a future Hall of Famer, but nevertheless just fresh out of plane. Um, came from Greece. I was in Portugal before. Based on Wi-Fi, I have to say that Portugal is far better for um, for working or visiting. Anyways, beautiful countries both. Um, if you haven't been to Greece, highly suggest going into Greece if you live anywhere in, in Europe. And um, I'm just trying to say nice things and positive things about countries since I always get flack of saying bad things about various countries. So Greece and Portugal, you're amazing countries. Um, we got full crew today, Eric Kress. Laura, Adam, everybody's here. We're going to talk about the latest deal with Iron Source and Unity. And I think we're going to have this long-awaited, prolonged debate about working from home versus working at a studio versus hybrid versus anything in between. But um, but I think... Wait, before we get before we get into that, where's, where's Ethan? Where, like, you guys called him out so <laughs> yeah. much in the last He's podcast. He's so busy. Like, 
Where's where's he? So busy. So so even. Yeah, just counting, counting yeah. his. No, 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 no. It, it, it's it's worse, dude. When, when we when we called him out, he basically in Slack was like, "Hey, I can send you a video of my testimony about mm. what's going on with crypto." Like he wouldn't even come on the the the, the, the podcast because he's so afraid. We got it. We got I'm going to defend Ethan. On. He's come actually on. been doing. Come we'll on, back. We'll have a whole sec. Like that. No, Ethan has been doing several episodes over here, so. He has like, I think he has like four episodes already in the pipe. So he's been recording his blockchain episodes on tokenomics. Yeah, but but like there's 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 a difference between <laughs> recording episodes in Kool-Aid. Like like uh, basking in like everybody agreeing with you, crypto nope. is coming back, to sitting next to Eric and Eric being like, Yeah, yeah, crypto's down. This is why. Here's when Adam, it's he, come he, back. he took he took right. a little bit of like a sidestep. He did an episode with Peloton, so that's coming out pretty soon. Um, <laughs> so 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 I mean, it's it's, it's why, not all... why are we publishing? Sorry, Peloton, but why are we publishing articles about or, or it's about gamification about and and their director yeah. of product is like sure. ex gamer oh. and they're building a gaming platform, and we love Peloton. Like, look at Eric Cress's background. Like like you know, do you have oh, a Peloton? Yeah, all the all the dust on his Peloton. I got rid of the bike. I said, dude, if I'm going to do a bike, I'm going outside. I'm not fucking down here in my oh, face. Man. Laura, have you tried Peloton? Um, no, I, I have an echelon. No. Oh, are you talking to Laura? Sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I mean, I've been on a I've been on a bicycle, like a push bike, mm-hmm. and then I like a you know a bike at the gym. But I don't think <laughs> yeah. I've, I've used not a Peloton. Peloton is amazing. Anyways. <laughs> Let's move on. Right, moving on. Moving on. <laughs> moving on. All right. This, is, this was the icebreaker. <laughs> yeah. A, a, a quick non-story, not about basketball, but I was in Chipotle with my son, and this old guy posts up behind us, and I. This guy was freaking old, like really old, like probably in his eighties. He's like hunched over. His skin is hanging. I mean, he was it was hideous, right? But and you could tell this guy was angry and he was angry about something. I don't know what, but he gets up to the counter and he just starts screaming out his order. He's like, not that, 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 that. And like the lady is like completely like out of his out of her mind, right? And he was like, I, I don't know, he seemed almost unhinged, right? And then he came sat down and he sat down right next to us and he starts eating his Chipotle lunch, right? And he's grunting and he's like, Mm, ah, mm, like this and he was fucking enjoying every goddamn moment of this goddamn burrito right and he i turned around and he has like sour cream hanging from his chin you know it was a sight to see right and at first you know i was annoyed like the rest of them i mean the guy was fucking out of control but then i thought about it i'm like this guy has probably escaped the old folks home right or the fucking asylum who knows right he's getting out there he's fucking enjoying his burrito no matter what he's like you gotta respect that he's like when I get that age, I just want to be like self-sufficient, get what I want, and to hell with everyone else, right? This guy became a hero in my book, right? Because he just doesn't give a fuck, right? He's out there. So anyway, I really respect that. Anyway, that that was my uh, my my moment in Chipotle this this after uh, this this weekend. Um, wow. that's my update there. I I I have I have an update if Go. I can sneak sure. in here. I actually I actually left my house. I don't know if you guys. <laughs> I haven't left my house in like two and a half years. Uh, no, I, I actually went to a conference because there is Pocket Gamer Toronto. Oh, wow. Of course, in my backyard. So I have literally zero excuse not to go to it. Um, actually commuted downtown, you know, met with people in real life. Um, you know, still wore a mask and all that kind of stuff. But uh, They're wearing yeah, masks? I'm a real human being. Canada? How was it? Is that happening? 
yeah, it's, yeah, it was good. It was good. It was nice to meet up with, with old colleagues and everything, but, uh, yeah, I'm still like, I'm not whole yet. I'm still going to be, this <laughs> <right? laughs> is, it's broken me. COVID yeah. has broken me. So, uh, and also I really, uh, don't miss the commute, right? Like having to actually get onto a train, get downtown, as you guys were talking on the last podcast of nose in armpits is not something it's I not miss. Fun. So, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll get to this in now. a minute, right? When you guys are going to be going on and on about working, remote working, and all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, the big debate, the big debate. Yeah, but I did, but I did appreciate being able to go downtown and get a really nice cup of coffee. How far do you? How, like, go to an Adam. Coffee. How far from Toronto do you live? Because. Listen, I know Toronto property market pretty well because I watched this. This what's the uh, the reality TV show where they uh, either either sell the house. Or, <laughs> so you, like, you know, sell it. You yeah, know the full selling like, sunset uh, real estate. No, 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 not that one. Yeah. Not, but, but no, there's no, no sunset no, no. in Toronto. Oh, okay, I've watched the one where they're in Vancouver <laughs> and the Toronto. Like I'm, I'm really into into that show. So I know all the uh, all the properties. Okay, so. <laughs> on a public no. podcast, I'm not going to give no, my address, just, uh, but I live in Mississauga, which is the like the suburb next to it. So, what's your suburb called in, in Finland again? The one that's like uh, yeah, Espo, yeah, Espo, SP, yeah. whatever, Espo. Yeah, um, it's just kind of like Espo to to yeah, Helsinki, yeah. right? Like it's just the city yeah, next yeah. to Toronto. So on a good day, I can drive downtown in like 20, 30 minutes, and I can get to the airport in what 20 we- minutes, less than 20 minutes. So. That's where how big is Toronto? I can attest this lovely. Yeah. How many people live in Toronto? Jesus. I have to ask. What are we talking about? I need to know. We're talking about Toronto, dude. (laughs) Toronto is like, it's like, you might as well be in fucking Kansas. You know, like, it's It's, it's nothing. What's going on? No. no. You're talking about a a suburb (laughs) of a suburb, right? What are we talking about? Moving on. GameStop. The the greater <laughs> Toronto area's population is five. Oh, wow, it's pretty big. Yeah, but no one cares. You know <laughs> one right, cares because fine. there's nothing in Toronto. Well, fine, Moving on. Fine, fine, All right. Fine. Game stop. Game stop. Game stop. <laughs> the GameStop is yeah, let's talk about something I, I, I just, bigger. It's, this thing grinds to a fucking halt. Okay. GameStop <laughs> is going full crypto, right? Without any crypto, right? There. I don't know what the fuck is going on, GameStop right now, but the headline is that GameStop is laying off a shit ton of people. They're firing their CFO after a year, um, and they're just talking about like how valuable their assets are in terms of their employees at the stores or whatever else, and they're going to announce further investments in their employees, whatever the fuck that means, right? So Michael Rupero was fired as CFO. He was replaced with another guy in their office. Um, he was in the job for one year, right? Can you imagine how tumultuous a year like that would be as a CFO if you're leaving? Anyway. Um, what's interesting is that, uh, oh, oh, by the way, he was at 17 years at Amazon before that, right? So, like, this is, like, obviously someone that has some, like, stick to it, right? So, Matt Furlong, who's the CEO, was also from Amazon, so they were probably friends for Amazon, so clearly something happened, right? Um, just to put this thing in perspective, GameStop is losing $150 million a quarter. That's, like, worse than $66 million they lost last year at the same time, so... They are on track to lose like $600 million. Um, and they basically fundamentally just don't have enough revenue to cover their overhead. It's it's really that plain and simple with this company. And it's going downhill as digital continues to take over, right? Um, so anyway, I you know, I, I don't even know what's happening with this company anymore. I haven't been covering it all that much because none of my clients are all that interested in a meme stock. But but 
they raised over a billion dollars at this insane valuation they're at right now. The stock is literally worth like five or six dollars a share, right? It's at it's at like 120 now or something crazy, right? And so they raised a billion dollars based upon this crazy valuation. And I imagine the CFO was like, dude, I have some like sense of like, you know, fiduciary duty, right? I, I, I can't be a part of this anymore. I don't know. And I, I'm sure it's a really fascinating story about what's going in. Um, but what, what's, what is interesting is that they haven't really expressed what their fucking strategy is, right? As their retail business continues to decline precipitously, right? There's, there's, no, there's no strategy for, for crypto at all like th that's been articulated. And the real irony is that the, the, the customer that they have is the one customer that is adamantly opposed to blockchain gaming to begin with. So I don't even know how you begin with the strategy around crypto with a bunch of big gaming nerds, right? So I don't know. This is this story is like I, I can't wait to actually see like the TV movie of the story. Um, anyway, uh, the second big thing that just literally just happened, and 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 unfortunately, I I just spent the last like forty five minutes trying to figure this shit out. And I'm sure I'm not going to get all this right. I'm 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 doing this ahead of time, but. My, my first instincts are always good on these type of things. But anyway, Unity is now acquired IronSource. So they basically paid a 70% premium, which is around $4.4 billion for IronSource. So this is no better example of two drunks holding each other up, right? That, this is the epitome of two drunks holding each other up's expression, right? And Wall Street fucking hates this deal. Absolutely hates it. Unity is down 15%. Even Atlovin is getting hurt on this deal, right? Because literally, they, these guys, this does not solve any problem. It actually makes the problem potentially worse, right? To have two different disparate groups, like, trying to fucking sort this shit out, right? All right, let me move on. So the company expects $300 million in synergies, uh, by 2024, which basically means that there's going to be significant layoffs across the board, most likely from Iron Source. So sorry to our Iron Source um, uh, people. Um, they want to reach one billion in profitability uh, of the combined company by fiscal 25, which is not only it's fucking Herculean and it's fucking impossible. Just saying. All right. Um, all right. Quickly on the positive, <laughs> like. I mean, really quickly on the positive here, right? So IronSource made $200 million on $553 million in revenue last year versus Unity made $1 billion in revenue and lost $66 million in, 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 in EBIT, right? So this is a hugely creative deal for Unity. This is really, really good for Unity from a profitability perspective. And on top of that, if they do get these insane synergies, which they will never get, um, then it makes it even more profitable and good for Unity, right? But that's where the positives end, right? Because buried upon this underneath this acquisition is that they cut guidance again for Iron Source for the year, right? It's like the epitome of a misdirection play, right? Where their business is like failing and Unity is not much better right now. I think Unity is going to be in more of a trouble this year than, than Iron Source. And so they, in the, in this press release, they basically reduced guidance for uh, Iron Source again um, for the year. Uh, again, as I said, they're going to reach these targets. Synergy targets is absolutely impossible. I mean, they continue to see huge challenges with IDFA and then removing fingerprinting and then the global recession. Like you couldn't have more headwinds for for a, a business. Period. You know. So, from my perspective, you know, Iron Source. This is actually not a bad deal for Iron Source in a way. Like 
they get to they get to like basically save their shareholders from more pain. You know, they've lost over like 75% of their value from 11 billion to 2.2 billion. So selling for 4 billion or so, that's probably a good move, right? Um, and given all these challenges ahead, they're probably in some ways better off together. You know, like, again, two drunks holding each other up kind of like idea where <laughs> better than them falling on their ass individually, right? So, um, and then Unity obviously gets more scale. They get more engineers. You know, it helps to help tackle this almost impossible situation created by Apple, right? But my sense here, and again, this is raw, right? Just, just happened, is that the key members of the engineering team at IronSource are going to fucking bounce, right? Who the fuck would want to be working for a combined entity like this, right? Like there's so much more opportunities for these people to go elsewhere, right? I don't, I don't see people sticking around for this shit, particularly with a, like a really kind of nasty integration potentially, right? There's some geo problems. I don't know. I have to look into this and see where this, but this may actually create more hiccups against their fight on the onslaught of this bullshit that Apple's been doing for the last like year and a half, right? Um, and now they're also have to deal with Apple as the competitor, right? And, and it, you know, potentially in the space going forward, which I really do want to talk with uh, Mr. Seifert when he gets back. Um, finally, in my per personal perspective, you know, John Riccatello is a fucking genius, right? The guy is a sales guy, right? He is amazing, amazing at articulating vision, selling to the customer, to employees, to, to shareholders. Dude, the guy, is, I, I don't know if I've seen someone better than him. Um, but what he's been historically terrible at is cutting costs, laying off people, and right-sizing businesses, right? And you can look at what happened to EA. I'm not going to go into it. But part of the reason he got pushed out was because he just never got this company right-sized uh, back in the day. So my opinion is that this merger acquisition is going to be an absolute massive fail, right? Um, Unity is, like I think, in the worst position out of all of them for these platform changes. And, and our friends at Iron Source, you know, basically got out of a sinking ship. And I think that's good. Um, but I don't think there's really, uh, I don't think the combined company only offers scale and doesn't necessarily offer a better competitive advantage against what's clearly out of their control from the platform perspective. Um, and then there's also, you know, that, but there are some other things about the culture of, 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 the, of the studio, of the groups that I'm hearing about on Slack, but I, I don't know much about that. So. Anyway, yeah, this is this is a disaster. This is absolutely going to be a disaster. And I and I I'm so sorry that all these people at Iron Source are probably gonna, lots of people are going to lose their jobs. Like 300 million dollars of synergies. Do you know how many fucking people that is? That's insane. You know. So um so sorry about that. Um yeah, that's it. That's I, all I got. I have two questions regarding this. So why do you see Iron Source is the one that it will see the cuts happening? Because you know kind of watching Unity just on the side. I think they've grown quite heavily and hired a lot, a lot of people and set up a lot of different offices. So my assumption would be that 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 um that Iron Source is the more leaner and meaner player of the two. Um so and again this is what I'm gonna look into a little bit is that I think Unity is really heavy in the uh in the uh sorry the uh engine side. Mm -hmm. I don't know how heavy they are really in the um uh user acquisition side or the uh, ad tech side. So, so that's why. So I think they're probably actually relatively lean on the ad tech side is what I'm, my, my understanding. So yeah, they'll, they'll, in order, but 300 million is such a big number that like, it's probably gonna be both. Um, but I, again, John McIntyre is not the right man for that job, right? I, to, 
cut employees. Um, mm. I don't think he's 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 not he's not suited for that. Um, in my 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 humble opinion. Yeah, and the second part that you mentioned is like a lot of the engineers will bounce, especially mentioning the iron source engineers. Like, I kind of doubt that because I mean. Well, we had a we had an example of EA and glue. That's a, probably a bad example. But normally, when in these type of situations, you're really looking at retain the key talent. And if there's engineers that are really good that really built the company, there's a lot of retention bonuses. Plus, when you're thinking about a recession times, uh, Unity is an incredibly stable um, employer compared to you know, let's say a startup or a crypto or a blockchain company. So, I think those two factors, like being a stable employer as well as um, offering different types of retention bonuses that these companies can have will make sure that that they will not lose key talent when during this uh, integration. So I will just kind of push back on that. Dude, come on, man. Dude, are you kidding me? The only are you, are, Dude, these engineers are worth their weight in fucking gold. They can go anywhere. They can go to Google. They can go to Apple. They can go to Facebook. They can go to... Everybody has hiring freezes. Salesforce. Everybody has hiring freezes. No, no, no. Not, not for these people. These people yeah, are just well, like gold. Dude. Yeah, maybe. So like, yes, they may do They do, may do retaining bonuses for like the senior people mm-hmm. to like try to keep the, the wheels on. But all the junior people that are actually the ones that are doing shit, right, they have they have options, right? And I and when we talk about global recession stuff, I, we're not talking about like engineering talent at Google, Apple, and and... Facebook and others, right? We're talking about guys that work at the, you know, at the, at the, at the, at, sorry, at Walmart, yeah. right? Anyway, the, the, the point it. is, is that it. like, like if, if you're doing, sorry, if you're making the effort of reducing expenses by 300 fucking million dollars, like there are many, many people that don't want to be part of that, right? That is not a fun place to be when every fucking month you're worried about getting your ass fucking handed to you a, a pink slip, right? So like, it's not a great environment, right? It's 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 horrific, right? Yeah. It's horrific, and so like, it's gonna be hard to retain, right? Yeah. And 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 they need every fucking engineer on on deck to try to fix a problem that's almost unsolvable because of what Apple is doing, right? And so, I don't know. And then I don't know. I what I don't know is what the synergies are between locations and like the type of people. And I I don't know anything about that, right? Mm. Like I, I I don't even know if I want to know, right? I I, I it, it's like, but 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 nonetheless. Um, uh, and then there's also some like beef between I think the um, the guys who do the engine versus the guys who do ad tech. Of course, focus on ad tech versus the engine, and like that's gonna this is gonna create. So now ad tech has become more of a big bigger part of the business. So that's a bigger you know continue, continue being a bigger org. While <laughs> while the engine stuff is probably the most healthy business relatively, right? So anyway, there's all kinds of complexity around this that I don't quite understand, but I'm gonna look into it. And, and and maybe I'll get back to you with any any updates or any feedback I get from the mm-hmm. podcast and also from yeah. folks. So, yeah, I'm sure Stuford uh, will have a lot, a, of, disaster, a lot of disaster. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I can tell you with absolute certainty this is a fucking disaster. This is like I mean this is going to be epic. Um, so uh, and and so I tell you like uh, you know Unity stock is down 15. percent So the you know the uh, Wall Street's already spoken, right? They don't like this deal, right? And and I think Unity has to bring down numbers this year. I don't think I don't think they're doing well right now. Right? And, and, and so that comes that's the stock's going to go down to nothing. You know? but, so. And and this deal came like just asking like this deal came through because Unity wanted to invest more into their ad tech revenue or what was what was the issue? Like why did they acquire Iron Source in your opinion? I I I think they think they can get more scale, right? And and I think, you know, 
JR is really good at building by acquisition, right? Mm -hmm. He really likes to spend and, and do these things, right? And he's a good sales guy. So he's going to basically say with bigger scale gives them better position in the marketplace. But, but again, this doesn't solve their core problem, right? Like they don't have no defense against what Apple is doing to the ecosystem and combining them doesn't make it any better. You know, they're both falling down, right? Um, I go back to the analogy. Yeah. Laura, any, any takes on this? Probably not. I don't think I could contribute anything meaningful. Yeah. I, I literally just heard about this, like, just as we started this podcast. Because, <laughs> um, okay. Um, Adam, nothing? No? Eric is just, like, playing, calling it an epic disaster of an epic proportion. I don't know if I can underline Look, quite I, that. I, I'd love to hear. <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, Crest usually um add some hyperbole there but i think it would be great to get suford on the podcast and actually get his yeah he's not yeah, on the no, podcast because he's answering these questions at the moment with no, uh, investors. That's exactly why he's not here <laughs> yeah. um okay well this was nice uh let's talk about another debate and that is what has happened to all the video games uh actually before i jump into it, i need to i need to sell something as well so uh <laughs> <laughs> it's the event that we're doing at um at Gamescom. So now I have a, actually a date. It's on Wednesday, Wednesday, twenty fourth of August in Cologne or Köln, as you would say in German. So uh, it's an event together with Phoenix Games, uh, Upright Games, uh, Deconstructor Fun, and Navic. So we're just we we took a nice place, rented a nice place. It's a very limited. Uh, limited amount of people who can come in, and uh, and what I learned is a lot of uh, a lot of restaurants and a lot of bars are not open fully in Germany just because they don't have the staff, not not because of any restrictions. So people didn't come back to work. So uh, it was quite hard to get a to get a cool venue, but we got a cool venue. But it's not the largest, so I think we can take maximum of two hundred people, which is not a lot, you know. <laughs> uh, Chris has been at our event, so they they carry more people than than two hundred for sure. So uh, everybody who's who's asking me for tickets already, so um, they got them. So please DM early uh, and um, and hope to see you in Germany if you're at Gamescom. Should be fun, uh, folks from Novik, folks from Phoenix. So it'll be a, a good boondoggle. Anyway, uh, let's jump into the uh, the the second debate, and that is the article. Uh, from Game Industry Biz that was what happened to all the video games. And and this article, as everything with, with Game Industry Biz, is, of course, very much focused on AAA studios. And it analyzed the hidden impact of remote working. Um, and what it did, it kind of focused on, on the fact that uh, there were a lot of games that were pushed back. Uh, they mentioned Starfield. They mentioned uh, The Legends of Zelda. Um, and these games were delayed. And then again, they were looking at the movie and the TV industries and the, and the major releases uh, were on constant base, consistent basis uh, while the games industry was suffering. So the article pointed out, the article was about interviewing some studio heads of, of different uh, AAA developers. And it kind of pinpointed certain issues that working from home and, or working during COVID brought up brought in and first was the sort of a mere is it called meerkat meerkat development when you're basically working at a studio and you kind of you know uh stand up and see people talking about certain things and you fix issues on the fly um and and that kind of thing disappeared then they talked about different time communication problems so when you lack that face-to-face -face contact due to the uh, the stay-at-home orders or people just 
choosing to work from home, uh, it becomes trickier in early development, especially since people don't know each other that well. The written language lacks certain types of depth uh, that facial impressions are helping. And it leads to a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of uh, a lot of situations where where things can escalate quickly and, and there's feuds and it's basically a mini Twitter. Um, then they talked about that there was a lag to almost everything because you tend to lose informal talk. You often share in the same physical workspace. Um, they talked about the churn of staff, uh, and we've we've read about the major exodus, and LinkedIn has been filled with like you know congratulations to everybody for a new position. Uh, and there was even one creative director at a major Canadian studio that described their biggest challenge right now is the churn of staff. And it is harder to retain new people when they don't feel connected to a company and its people. So essentially, they were talking about like, if you work from home, it doesn't matter who you work with. Uh, as You can change the employer, you know, the next week. And it's just who pays better and who is kind of like, you know, uh, gives you the least amount of stress to allow you to optimize your own your own career. They will work for that. And they don't really care about the people because they never met them. Uh, that also led to the sort of a loose of the accumulation of team veterancy. This was an interesting point where they talked about teams who had been on a journey together and they learned how to operate the best. And and um, and with, with these type of setup, the experience is very impersonal. Uh, you know, a lot of people are talking with their cameras off on, on different meetings um, and you don't have that rich peer-to-peer relationship because you're only talking about work. You're not really mentioning lives. You don't have that those coffee coffee table talks or, or water cooler talks, and, and it's pure business. And final one was was something that they mentioned was the uh, the quality drop off as a major concern. They of course brought the case of Cyberpunk, but they also raised the the case of Battlefield 2042 and Call of Duty Vanguard, where these games came on time, but they lacked some of the um, Shazam that that uh that could have, should have been there if the games would have been developed um, on site, according to the article. So, you know, the, the article also pointed out that, that it's not a big deal when the games were already in production or in live ops where the processes were set, the, the team had been working together for a longer time, and they didn't see really major delays. Uh, and, um, and also pointed out that it was not that bad with the delays. Like it's easier to delay a game now than it was say 10 years ago, or even five years ago, because most of the studios or most of the publishers have games in live operations that are generating revenue. And especially during lockdowns had increased amount of revenue. So that allowed the studios to be more uh, accepting of, of pushing back a game. Uh, finally, the dilemma is, you know, going back on site is clearly better with these uh, According to this this article, going back on site was clearly better, with studio studio siting up to 5x increase in velocity after returning back on site. But at the same time, they cited the um, the, uh, the the research or a study that 96% of the participants in the U.S. Best Place to Work awards last month told that they had no intention of making their staff return to the office full time. The developers in this article admit that Genie is out the bottle, and the idea of going back to the commute every day, and only hiring people who are willing to move to the er area is a no-starter. Recur is a world-class NFT platform working with game creators looking to build with NFTs. Don't go through the time, hassle, cost, and risk of building your own tech. Recur provides an institutional-grade secure platform for creators and an easy-to-use experience for users. 
Recur's one-of-a-kind metagaming service allows game creators to make compelling collecting games with NFTs that drive game economies. If you are a mid- to large-sized developer or publisher looking to enter the world of Web3, contact Recur at RecurForever.com to become a platform partner. So, this is a summary of all the article. Laura, what do you think? So, I'm trying to separate what I prefer personally versus what I think is good for a team. Um, and I think one thing I want to call out is there, there is I, there's definitely going to be a difference between console development and mobile development. And I, I, my, I'm speaking from my experience in, in mobile development, so I have never worked in, in console. Um, just a little bit of context. So I, what I wanted to do is everyone kind of has a very strong opinion. Oh, no, remote's perfect for, you know, blah, blah, blah. No, everyone has to be back in office. And I think one way to approach this is to look at, well, what's been done before? So I, we, I surveyed the, um, the Slack group, the DOF Slack group, to try to get an idea of what companies have actually been working remotely pre-pandemic. So they weren't thrown into it. They intentionally decided to make it one of their ways of working. Um, and I'm going through, there are, a, there are a couple. Um, it was, it was a little bit harder to find. And I don't think we have that many studios that have actually, uh, been remote intentionally without being forced. So I think that's a key point. Um, so I have for console, Moon Studio, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm, uh, this is, again, a survey I have not, uh, it was very difficult to find uh, whether or not these studios, to, to kind of uh, fact check this. But Moon Studios, who did Ori and the Will of the Wisps, um, was apparently uh, remote pre-pandemic. We have Oddworld, Inhabitants, 16 Tons, uh, formerly known as Disruptor Beam, now Beamable, and Unknown Worlds um, for console. So, And then for mobile, we have Magmatic, who made Travel Town, released last year. Uh, then Super Evil Megacorp, they made the first mobile MOBA, uh, Spry Fox. And then there was a little bit of back and forth on whether or not Playworks was actually remote or hybrid or remote in areas where people were still able to meet in office. So I think it's tough that to, to figure out, I, I don't really have a good basis of comparison. And the reason I bring this up is because I think we, we're using the pandemic and the consequences of the pandemic to judge whether or not remote is good or bad. And one thing that keeps coming to mind is that before before COVID, when everyone was in office and that was the norm, we had spent years and so much money in agile coaches in most, most cases and tools that optimized in-person working. Like that was just what we did. It was continuous improvement for in-person working. And we haven't done the same for remote or hybrid. Like just we you can't really compare because you haven't given enough effort or preparation for the remote. So I'd say that it, it's not it's not a comparison of apples to apples because they're just you just can't. When you're thrown into a situation without having ample time to prepare, of course it's going to be difficult. You're likely going to see delays. You're using tools that were, again, optimized for in-person working that you're now expecting to work in a completely different environment. So I think that that part I always I always go back to that thinking well if we could set it up like an actual experiment and set set like set it up for and, and control the variables and and create it so that you had just as much effort and thinking going into how do we make remote working the best it can be I would I would 100% believe that we could make it as efficient and as productive and you know the least amount of delays as you could with in person working um, so that's my my high level, and then I have I have a couple a couple more, more points, and I wanted to make one little one little comment that 
I mean, yes, of course, games are going to be delayed, but there's a lot of console games that are delayed, even when they were working in person. So I feel like that's, I, I would want to see, like, I feel like that was kind of like they're just pulling it out of their pocket saying, oh, it's delayed. Well, it probably would have been delayed anyway, because a lot of these games get delayed. Um, let me see. And one other one other point about this. So there, there are some people in the Slack that also brought up some great things about culture. And I totally get it. And I know that there's, in the article, they're talking about there's staff churn because people can't get, you know, they, they don't connect it to their employees. But there's also staff churn because people don't want to go back to work. People don't want nose and armpit commutes. They don't want they don't want to have their schedules dictated to. They don't want to deal with, you know, finding this. I mean, regardless of wherever you are in life, there's going to be a, a level, level of admin and overhead that you have to manage when you're when you're not at home. I loved being able to throw my laundry in before a meeting so that I'm not spending my, you know, two, three hours at home kind of doing all this admin stuff that I wasn't able to do during the day. Um, but again, but the, I think when, when we think about this, I feel like the most, the most important thing in, is that not, there's not always one solution that works, that works for everyone. Um, and there's, it, I think if you're, Whatever level you are, I think, in whatever phase of, of development you're in, you need to think about what's best for your people and what, what's best for you, what you want as a company. And I'm sure, Mishka, you think about this all the time since you run a studio. Um, and it's it's kind of, it made me think a lot about when I've worked with agile coaches saying that, you know, it's not, you can't just have one process that works for everything. And it, it I think this is the same. You have to evaluate it on who are the types of people that you're looking to hire. Are you hiring juniors? Are you, are you trying to level people up? Are you hiring a small team of seniors? And you can adapt it that way. Um, it's it's when there has to be some sort of blanket approach or or something that's like, I mean, you made a comment or there was a, a note about how management really wants to, is, is kind of pushing for it because they see better results. But do they really see better results or is it more that they want to see people working? And that's that's something I, I think that needs to be addressed as well because there, there is a sense of, I, I find it a little, it can it can be, it needs to be done for the right reasons. It absolutely needs to be done for the right reasons. And I think if people give it due care and assess what's what's right for their company and they they pick what works and what doesn't work with with their team and with their employees and make it about the people that make the games, then I think that it, people should be open-minded on whatever solution works best for them, whether it's hybrid, remote, or in-person. Adam, what's your opinion? Um, I mostly agree with Laura. Like, I, I guess I have a middle-of-the-road approach um, but obviously my personal bias is that I am a spoiled brat and I am going to be remote for the rest of my life and no one can tell me differently, <laughs> right? Like at least for myself and, um, who I am and what, what role I play. Um, I enjoy being in a central organization that has multiple studios. Um, and yeah, I, I would not like, it is absolutely priceless being able to work fully remote especially with young kids being near, near family, right? Like I would never have this opportunity to be in Toronto. Um, I, I just think of all the, all the families that are in a similar situation to mine where over the last decades of game development have had to move constantly between major cities um, to keep up their roles. Right. And I, I don't want to do that. Like I really enjoyed my time in Berlin, loved, loved LA. Um, but being home with kids, I, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing that's going to change that. Right. Um, so regardless of what happens with the economy, with jobs, whatever, my roots are here. 
Um, so yeah, but, but, but let's, if you zoom um, out a little bit and talk about, cause you're in a very, like a sort of a specialist position where you have a team of specialists yeah, and yeah. then you work with a lot of different students. I, I'm just talking like for, I'm just starting yeah. with yeah, yeah. myself personally. That's, that's my situation. And the, the, the weird thing is, is like talking with other people. There are a lot of people that are thinking like me, right? Is that this, as they said in this article, the genie is out of, ball, out of the bottle. They've done that remote working, right? Like before the pandemic, I was also a consultant. Um, living out of Berlin, working for an LA company, uh, based company. And I was working from home for, you know, 12 hours a day, right. Working from my, my office. And I loved that lifestyle. Um, and then moving back into an office where even in that case, I actually had a closed door office, um, in, in LA. It honestly, looking back, it sucked. Like having to like all the, even just the time wasted, between having to physically move between meeting rooms all through the day, every single meeting room you come in and there's the first like five, 10 minutes of like, how the hell do we set up this meeting, right? Like, our, let's get this thing going versus the the relationships that I've built on Zoom of like, yeah, you say, okay, you can't really build up a culture, but at least for, for my team, I can say, we have a good working culture on Zoom. Every time I have a one-on-one, I spend the first at least 10 minutes just chatting the shit about personal lives and and making sure there's a, a personal connection there. Like it's, I guess I don't see it quite as black and white in that. But anyways, when, when we try to like zoom out and actually say, what should a studio do, right? Like what should a game company do? Um, my take is that they should pick a lane, right? And embrace the pros and cons of either approach. And I believe that a team can be successful on either side of that, right? Like if you want to be a remote friendly studio, great. But then you need to embrace it. You need to figure out how to handle communication, you need to figure out that design iteration issue. Like the biggest thing in game design versus say tech, other spaces is like every single one of those sprints, having a playable build and then getting those designers, especially into a room together, playing the game on a whiteboard and actually saying, what is wrong with this build? What do we need to improve? Driving that, that next sprint. If all that stuff happens asynchronously, you don't get that iteration speed. Um, but I think most of the time when you get later and later in production, like that iteration is not happening on like a daily basis, just given production, right? It's health, like it's happening weekly, bi-weekly or monthly, just given on how large some of these games that we're working on are. So I think it's still absolutely fine that you can have iteration speeds on a weekly basis, but as long as that studio and especially those designers are able to come to a physical like location right? Or build up tools so that they can all build and play the games together on in a huddle, make sure they've got some version of a whiteboard um, to iterate on those things. So like th- that iteration speed is something that I'm, I'm really worried about in this thing, but I think we've slowly figured that out. Um, tooling in production shops, absolutely. So if you do this, if you figure out remote, as Laura, I think better articulated than myself, right? Then you can take advantage of a wider talent pool, independently productive workers and lower overhead costs. The amount of time that I have saved by being able to turn off my video, complete emails, complete low, small little tasks, because every single um, meeting that I'm in does not need my full attention, right? A, a boss might think that, that every single meeting I should be fully looking at the camera and fully attaining, but I guarantee you 90% of the time in meetings is absolutely bullshit, right? And I do not need to be staring at the, at the camera to do it. I don't know. There is no company I've ever worked for that has had great meetings that I'm worth my time to be staring at the screen the whole time. I'm perfectly capable to write an email while you're blabbing. About it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways, 
if you want to be on site, great. You have to make things clear to your remote workers. You cannot be hybrid with key people in remote positions, right? So like with one person on Zoom, boom, all of a sudden your in-person meeting sucks. <laughs> no longer works, right? So you're going to have to tell these people that are pushing to be remote, like myself, that you can't work with them. And that does not, like the people that are remote are not your always necessarily your worst people. I really hate that connotation. And I think <laughs> anybody who says that, I, I'm willing to debate them to the end because that is not the case. Um, but still, be on site. You know, you have to be able to say, we are not going to take advantage of that wider talent pool. We're going to say no to a bunch of good people um, because we want to make sure that we are embracing everybody in the office, meerkat development, faster iteration speeds. So we're going to do more with, with less. And I think that's absolutely fine. And so just to sum that up, like I think studios can be successful in either approach. And I would not look so blindly to say that a game's success um, is solely based on this because there's so many other factors that, that dictate a game's success besides just being remote versus on-site. So talent density, iteration speed do have impact, but also product strategy, luck, timing, right? So yeah, like it, I, I don't want people to be so much like on either side of this fighting, yelling at each other about this stuff. But I would will say that the genie is out of the bottle. I am never <laughs> going back. And I think there's a large swath of people that you will not get access to if you're if you're so binary and say everything has to be back on site. Yeah, I mean, you both raised a good points. Like like and and I I 100% agree that there is no either or. I think it's really important to understand what are the pros and cons and kind of find the. Uh, the middle road, or just choose one of them, and and the, the kind of like the four things that you guys mentioned was, you know, not in this particular order, but number one, meetings. Like meetings suck up so much time out of any company that 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 we worked at. Like it just you just end up spending sometimes full day in meetings. Like I remember back at working at certain big corporation uh, that one day I, I came into work and. Uh, you know, I didn't even bring, I was game lead and I didn't even bring my computer because I just wanted to show how many meetings I have so that I don't even have time to open up my computer. And people were like, well, it is what it is. You got to be in all these meetings. So it was kind of ludicrous that you don't even have time to work during the, your working day. So I 100% agree with that. Uh, then, then of course, Adam as you, and, and Laurie both raised the specialist work. Like um, when you're, you know, working on a specific craft or you're a specialist in a certain area, being remote is is perfectly fine and you can even build a remote team of specialists whether it's ua whether it's product or whether it's you know even analytics uh that works when when you have a fully remote team of of people who are quite similar understand each other's process and and are really about that craft i, I agree there 100 processes yes like if you want to do this for real and if you want to do this not for just an extensive period of time or just to please uh, certain employees, then, then you have to have process build up. Super Evil Megacorp did a pretty good guidebook on remote work when they went fully remote before pandemic, actually. Uh, that was cited a lot by by different companies. And, and um, it's, of course, you know, we don't know how how good that, that culture ended up being compared to their previous one. Was it better or worse? It's hard to say. But at least they built the fully process to allow remote work before they had to do it. And the final part that that everybody hates is the commute. And especially if you live in big cities like London or, or you know, congested cities like even San Francisco, others where the rent is just so high that people have to live two hours away. Um, the commute just kills 
employees. Like if you have to commute from Brighton to London every day, it's just impossible to do that. So um, that's 100% there. Um, I tried to, when I was reading this, I tried to zoom out and kind of think about it um, in, in a, in a, in a different way uh, or kind of keeping this in account, but kind of trying to zoom out from, from my own perspective. And of course I like working from home. Who doesn't? I have also two kids and it's just, it's nice not to, not to commute though. Commute in Helsinki is a joke. Uh, but anyways, um, people who are not in management position, in my opinion, quite often lack the, uh, the ability to see the challenges with the remote working and, and kind of over-focus on the advantages of working from home brings to them on an individual level. So this is, talking to, you know, to a lot of individuals and they seem to um, always talk about what's good for them. And it's it's very easy to focus on what works for me, the best for me, and, and kind of come from that perspective. Like I'm most productive when I do that. But it's seldom that that a lot of people have the ability to talk about what is best for the team, the project, or the company. It's all very much focused on on individual level. And what I think is that as the uh, there was the COVID and there was also a significant, you know, bull run on the market and employees were able to dictate the rules of, of how they want to work, where they want to work from for most of the companies. And uh, and there was a tremendous talent war going on at, at, you know, just even a couple of months ago. So I think employers had to, in a way, bend over backwards to retain and hire needed talent. We heard a lot of news about uh, studios having issues hiring, studios having issues with, with retaining talent. But I think in a recession time, uh, with with all the uh, all the issues going on, not not only the interest rates or the energies or whatnot, I think the employers have now much more power than they had just you know a few months ago, where they can actually go back and think about what is best for the company, uh, for their own efficiency and how they should plan their process versus what do we have to do to hire and retain talent. So, I believe that that certain studios will will. Who, who want to focus on maximizing efficiency, who need to focus on maximizing efficiency, uh, who are making new games, they will move on to hybrid uh, work model where most of the times employees will be at the studio. So I know Riot went already back to this where they have, I think it's Monday and Friday is optional work from home, but Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you have to be at the office unless Unless, you know, you have agreed with your boss and you have a certain type of position where you just don't have to be at the at the office. Like, it's fine if you work from Toronto on this specific job. It doesn't it doesn't matter. But for most of the employees, they have to be at the office at least three days a week and everybody's there at the same time. And um, I believe, you know, I 100 percent agree that that there are exceptions and some high level specialists uh, that will be given the opportunity to work remotely. And I think it's great that this has unlocked remote work, that, that we're able to hire uh, high-level talent from, from outside these gaming clusters. But overall, I think that in a relatively short amount of time, the pendulum will swing back and it will focus on what the company needs and what not what the employees want. And I think this also, sadly, will give some of the employees... Um, a reason to shed some some uh, workforce because they would just say like you have to come back or you okay you don't want to come back all right now we were able to shed the ten percent off uh, through that in in a very simplistic rule set um, personally you know I want to end up with a personal as you guys as well I've done both I've built a studio uh, on site and I've also had to build a studio with a, with a remote setting 
And I would have to say that the difference between velocity, quality, and and even employee churn is incomparably in favor for the on-site studio. But in both cases, this was for development of a new game. It wasn't for, uh, you know, an existing franchise. It wasn't running um, Hearthstone, where we're, we've been running this game for 10 years and we can run it, you know, with our eyes closed. Uh, but this is for new game development and it has been incredibly um, much more difficult with, um, with, with an offsite setup. Um, but I've also talked to numerous executives, advisors, mentors, and everybody who's been working on new games has cited the same type of problems that was raised in this article, as well as the problems that I've seen myself. So not going at specialist work, talking purely on new game development. And this is on mobile. I've heard a lot of problems. Of course, I've talked also to the playrixes of the world that, that have you know, massive franchise, and they were working just fine because they have hundreds of people working from different locations. They're fully re remote right now. They have the process running. They've mastered this, so that's that's all good for them. But for new game development, it's been it's been quite challenging. Um, yeah. So does it doesn't mean that I don't believe in fully remote. Uh, I think in new game development, my opinion is just it's a subpar option. When it comes to specialist work, I think it's perhaps even a better option. I think. Uh, it allows you to find certain type of, of specialists, whether they're on user acquisition as product, as, as I said, like any of that, and, and they can build uh, powerful, powerful specialist teams. And those can be excellent addition to your, um, to your overall core competences and capabilities of the company. Uh, so I think that's a great part. But for majority of the game development team, uh, I would, you know, given a choice, I would definitely do it fully on site. Um, just just to to reap the benefits of team building, of velocity, of this sort of meerkat development, and then having specialists to support that team at remote locations. So that's my that's my spiel on that. I'd love to hear more stories of people trying to shift things mm -hmm. back towards hybrid onsite, right? Like where where there is some sort of forced mm -hmm. day of two or three days of the week where people really are supposed yeah. to come back in. Because so far, I've only heard um, bad experiences there. That 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 people don't end up actually coming. Um, heard an experience where they, they had an on-site meeting uh, where everybody was supposed to show up. Only half people yeah. ended up showing up because they had other issues. And then somebody had COVID. And then everybody who came to the on-site got flagged for COVID. So like there's <laughs> still a lot of awkwardness of pulling players, uh, pulling people back to the, to the office. I just think that's flawed. I, I don't... My, my, I think that is trying to solve the wrong problem. So in early game development, I think that what, if you're going to do remote, this is my personal belief. If you're mm -hmm. going to do remote, one of the tools you have to invest in is getting people together at some point. Whether you have everyone fly in to work together for one week, two week, and then go fly out, that's that. That's that would be one of the tools in my my personal toolbox of what I would do. Because yeah, there is this absolute great positive benefits of aspects to it, but like. I feel like the the two days in the office is trying to solve that problem. Whereas we do that, everyone knows we have to get people together. So let's just do it a couple of days a week. And I think that is like I, that wouldn't be my preference. I think that would, that's not the solution. That if I was you know queen of a company, then that would not be the solution I'd propose because that still requires you to be in the city. It doesn't actually let you take advantage of the wider talent pool and. 
again, personally, I would, I would 100% take a fantastic, talented individual that did not live in my city or my country over someone that just happened to be in the same city. I think talent trumps talent trumps in-person working every time. Um, and I would rather, again, I, I fully I rather, agree with that. Yeah. Absolutely. I'd rather cater and be like, yeah. Hey team, we're going to, this is week we're, we're making a new game. We all, uh, we got to get these, these things in. We're going to do, let's try to do two weeks in this one place. Here we go. And then, and then you can go back and be remote for a month. That, that would be my, that, that, I, I'm not I, saying it's perfect, but. So, so what, one experience I had was like, you're talking about like an individual talent, right? You're getting things like rendering engineers, like guys who, who are like insanely good specialists at graphics programming, right? This this person only wanted to live far away in another place. They had all the leverage because that skill set is so rare. You can't hire them anywhere else, right? So they're holding all the cards. Um, the one area where I'm like, oh, well, we got to pull people to the onsite would be things like design, right? Getting enough people in a in a critical mass around your studio so that they could come in once a week, once a month to do those kind of iteration meetings. But even in that case, I've had an, an, an example of like, do you hire the person that's outside of that, that time zone who's insanely qualified, who can screw all of those designers heads on, right? Yes, because in my experience, that was like, holy shit, putting that person into that, that role. And even though it was a bunch of Zoom meetings, actually managed to, to turn around a product where you know, a, a, a bunch of say juniors, junior PMs and junior designers kind of iterating on a week to week basis wasn't getting that result. Um, so I would hundred percent agree with Laura that, you know, bending over backwards to get that top talent, um, is always going to be Trump, um, on site, especially, especially if it means getting that. Top I, I would, I would actually disagree in the sense that it's not as simple. Like you have to find people who really fit your organization. Uh, you can, bring all kinds of top talent and they would, assuming you're bringing them full time as a part of the team, not as a consultant, you can bring in people that can, you know, be very harmful for your overall team uh, structure, organization, how they work, et cetera. Yeah. So, so I'm assuming this top two talent is yeah, a cultural yeah, fit. Exactly. That is part of exactly. the interview process. So that, I guess that's tables. Well, not always. Not, I'm not, not, I'm always. not assuming like, that. Quite often people think that, that since we have, uh, since we can pull any talent from anywhere, they tend to focus too much on the CV, on the backgrounds, on what kind of games you worked at. And and even that, that person could be a good fit should they be working together with the rest of the team. But then there's the issues of communication, et cetera, et cetera. So what I'm trying to say is like it's, it's not as simple as finding somebody who's very talented. Sometimes if it's an individual, especially on the programming side, they can be a major boost uh, to, to the overall productivity. But when we're talking about product design, especially those type of uh, skill set that requires a lot of communication inside the team, um, there the challenges can arise just based on the fact that they are not on site. But again, as you said, as Laura said, like if you bring them to the location once a while, once a month or whatever the cadence is, I think that can foster a very uh, healthy relationship with the rest of the team where they can actually level up the whole team. So so to kind of conclude and Eric Crest is already sleeping. So 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 to conclude, like I think there's no like I think we all agree there's no one right answer here and it's not like everybody has to be on site or or remote is is factually better um i, I think what, what we're all trying to say is like you have to commit to one type of ways of working and you have to realize that if you're not able to get 
the fully remote work or even even this you know uh, hybrid work to work for you then it's perfectly okay even to choose to be fully on site like you have you you know you have to choose what is best for your company and not what is best for certain individuals or even for your own comfort like you have to put the company first that's that's what i'm kind of leaning personally and i'm also like again personally telling individual teams even inside the one game team to see what works best for them to try out different things would it be better if you come to work would it be better if you work from is there any differences is there any differences between hybrid just test everything uh, and then find what is the best way for your particular craft or your team to work at and if everybody agrees that that working from home is the most effective way then that's great that's your team that works best from 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 remote location but there might be other teams let's say like design that work best or artists that work best when they're all together in the in the same room at least few times a week and they should continue working that way as they've identified being the best way i got nothing really intelligent to say but i will say that the one thing that laura said that that kind of uh got me thinking is that like no one was prepared for this, right? There's been no like systems that have been put in place to make remote working work, right? I mean, I guess you have Zoom and you have other things that that have kind of matured over the last few few years, but I think it, I, I think it can be effective. I'm I'm personally I was already working from home like three or four years before COVID, so I already kind of felt that pain, you know, and like that that evolution of what trying to be productive and, and, and the benefits and, and the things. And I actually wanted to go back to the office. <laughs> I was like, fuck this dude. I need <laughs> at least one day or two days in the office. Cause I'm going freaking batshit crazy by myself. Right. So I experienced that over a much longer period of time. Right. So I don't think we've had the chance to really evolve to this, to this, which I think is Laura's point is like the evolution never happened. It was just a revolution that, like was thrust upon the entire fucking company, you know, in the entire world for that matter. Right. So yeah, it needs to evolve better. Um, but I'm like one of those people that love to be in an office because, you know, I, I am probably Adam's worst nightmare, right. Cause he's trying to be productive and all I want to do is chit chat. Right. So I'll come by, Hey, what's up Adam? You know, like he'll be like, get the fuck away from me. Right. I'd rather be home getting shit done. Right. But, uh, so I told, I, I've been, I've been in enough meetings with you. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I know to turn off my video when you start talking. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but that did not sound nice. Okay. Um, anyway, so, uh, so I don't know. That's, that was the one thing that I, I think is totally true is that no one was prepared for this. And clearly no one is prepared because I don't think a lot of productivity is happening. And, uh, and, uh, and it'll be an evolution over time, I think, to, you know, one way or the other. Yeah, but doing hybrid seems impossible. Yeah. Well, let's end up on this. So if you, if your studio has like everybody's studio has experience. So send us a message, how you've been able to like, send us a message on, on has your studio been more productive with a work from home setup? What kind of a systems, what kind of process did you set up to do so? And send up, send us also a message if it hasn't worked out for you. And then that you're thinking about going back to, to onside, like we want to hear from all sides of the, uh, of the equation, because this is very interesting, and and I don't think the, the the book is written on this. Like like it's still an open question. We know that certain things work, certain things don't work. But it would be very interesting to hear from more people in the industry of of how they are coping with this setup. On that note, I think next week Eric Suford will be here to give a more balanced 
view of the Iron Source and Unity deal. And um, and uh, we'll catch everybody next week. So thanks, guys, for listening. 